Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Irene Two is a Los Angeles-based stand-up comedian, actor, and writer. After moving to Berkeley from Chicago, she quickly established herself in the Bay Area comedy scene. The San Francisco Chronicle, in fact, singled her out as an artist on the brink of fame. While other outlets have named her as one of the Bay Area's 11 best stand-up comedians, women to watch, and comedians you should and will know in 2019. She's performed on Comedy Central, Logo, Stars, and Viceland, and is open on the road for comedians such as Patton Oswald, Maria Bamford, and most recently, she's been on the road with Taylor Tomlinson. Two released her debut album in March 2022 via Blonde Medicine. We're Done Now is a hilarious 15-track collection of stories about coming out and dating, observations about food, dictators, and diva cups, as well as morbid musings about surviving the apocalypse. Proving she can put up with just about anything, she sat down with me outside in the cold for a quick chat about her album and her career. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! I don't know if we have any gay people here or um, if you know a gay person. I feel like that should cover it. Yeah, at this point, if you don't know anyone who's gay, uh, you're gay. I knew I was gay my whole life because growing up, my favorite color was blue. Very suspect move for a girl. I wore a lot of overalls. And the only Barbie I ever owned was always uh, naked. Yeah, you buy little girls Barbie so they buy more clothes to dress her up. I was like, nah, she's fine the way she is. Barbie wants to go skinny dipping every night. Very creepy. But I didn't come out to my mom for a really long time because I thought she wasn't going to be cool with it. Right? Finally, when I was 19, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell her. I go, Mom, I'm gay. And she just goes, I know. Look at your hair. And that was it. That was the entire conversation. Very easy. So I would highly recommend coming out to my mom. She already knows you're gay, you know? <laughs> but right after he came out to her, she was like, hey, let's go bra shopping. And I was like, mm, this is a weird coming out present. But sure, why not? I like free stuff. Let's go. <laughs> so we go to Macy's, my mom's favorite store. Great deals. Found this one bra, 50% off. Gotta buy that, right? We buy it. I'm wearing it kind of recently. And my girlfriend at the time saw it. And she goes, uh, hey, um... Isn't that a nursing bra? I was like, no, this is a regular bra. What are you talking about? What's a nursing bra? Turns out it was a nursing bra. Which I learned is a special kind of bra that unhooks from the front so you can nurse a baby with it. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I just thought this is a cool extra function. 
Who doesn't want to take their bra on and off like overalls? <laughs> their bra overalls. Uh, it's good for fucking. So, been wearing that bra law lately. And I get my period every month, as you do. Right. So I'm running out of pads. My mom saw this and she goes, hey, let me go buy you some more. I'm like, thanks, weirdo. So she runs to Target, comes back. She's like, oh my God, I found another great deal. <laughs> Two for one pack of pads. They're extra big because I know you're a bleeder. <laughs> Why don't you try them on? And I was like, all right, thanks, mom. So I'm trying them on in my room as if I'm in a fitting room. I'm like, huh. These pads look kind of weird. Um, they're very big for some reason. I don't know what's happening in the back. So I look at the bag. You see what weird brand pads these are. Don't recognize it. Look below the brand. Turns out my mom bought me adult diapers. Yeah. And I've never been happier. That stuff works so well. Way cheaper. So now I'm exclusively wearing adult diapers and nursing bras. Because I don't know how old I am, okay? I'm like, do I want to have a baby or do I want to be a baby? Just Benjamin buttoning from the top down. That was Coming Out from Irene 2's We're Done Now, available wherever you stream your comedy and on vinyl from Blonde Medicine. So Irene 2... Last things first, congratulations, uh, your debut comedy album, We're Done Now, is now done. It's out. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad it's finally out. <laughs> uh, as I was listening to it, no spoilers, but uh, you made me feel less guilty. I've For a long time, I've been thinking about uh, chicken drumettes, like the, the, the baby version of, of chicken wings, and wondering if they actually come from baby chickens, but I feel a lot less guilty about it now. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank, yes, yes, yes. You're from Chicago. You went to school in Chicago. But then you transferred midway through, right? You went from Northwestern to Berkeley. And I'm curious to know how much of that move was, one, based on academics, two, based on the LGBTQ plus community, three, based on your burgeoning comedy career, and four, just wanting to get away from your parents? Um, it, I just, uh, it was just really cold. Honestly, that I hated living um, in Evanston. That's it. We're in New York right now. It's the same weather. I hate this. <laughs> it's, ter- it's terrible. I always wanted to live in California, so I had to leave. So how much comedy had you done at that point? Um, I, yeah, I started when I was in college. There was, like, a new stand-up group on campus. Um, so I kind of... And I did, like, improv when I was in high school. I, every weekend I would go to the Second City and take classes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, had, it really had, like, nothing to do with comedy going to Berkeley um, I really want to go to Stanford and I've been very on record about saying this they've rejected me twice and uh, I'm still bitter about it so <laughs> so you moved to, to Berkeley the Bay Area uh, how long into that did you restart or resume your young comedy career or how much of it was just wanting to get through Berkeley first did you divide your time how did that work um, no, I pretty much started doing stand-up, like, right after I moved. Um, I kind of just researched where there were mics or shows or, like, reached out to people that I knew. Um, so I spent, like, you know, half the time in doing classes and then the other half doing stand-up. But by the end, I really didn't really 
care about school. I just want to make sure I passed. <laughs> now, as as the daughter of um, Asian immigrants from China, right? Mm-hmm. You know, historically or stereotypically, uh, we're told that that immigrants don't uh, don't like when their children go into the arts instead of something more American or respectable. Even though comedy is perhaps the most American art form, how is that? How is that? transition for you with your parents was that was that tougher or easier than coming out um i kind of just do what i want so i didn't really consider it like uh i'm gonna you know be nervous about telling them or whatever i mean i i think the their thing and i think for most like asian parents um it's uh, about um money because uh, you know doing stand-up you don't make a lot of money unless you are famous so for most of the time, you're just, like, struggling, and uh, they would not... Well, if you go to med school, you do the whole thing, you become a doctor, at minimum, you make, like, a certain amount of money, and that's, like, a good living, right? So it's, like, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, that's pretty good. Um, but if you're a comedian, it's, like, who knows? So I don't think it's, like, they don't really respect arts. I think it's just, like, a harder lifestyle. Um, but I never really came out to them as, like, oh, I'm going to do this, like, blah, blah, blah. I kind of just did it, you know? <laughs> How long did it take you before you could start earning a, a decent enough living in comedy to not have to worry about other jobs? Um, I kind of had a day job for a while after uh, college. I worked in a bookstore. But um, the, when I started making actual amounts of money doing stand-up instead of what, like, a free drink or, like, $10 or literally losing money, uh, is when I started doing colleges. And that was maybe 2016. I can't remember what year exactly, but I, I did a couple of the NACA conferences and I booked a bunch of colleges. And then I was like, okay, I guess I am a stand up now. And then I quit my job and was just doing that. Did you have one of those, uh, you know, throw throw the books down literally and go, I'm I'm out of here. I'm I'm big time. Oh no! Not, not, you're making everything sound dramatic. None, none of it was dramatic. I just was like, I don't think I need to work at this bookstore anymore, and because uh, I get paid way more to do these colleges than to work at the store. So I was like, okay, I just quit. Uh, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, I I just listened to your new album, and yeah, I should know because you you joke at length about being rather vanilla, uh-huh. being kind of a boring person in your life. So why would any of these things be? kind of melodramatic telenovela moments for you i mean i'm sure it also could be but i just uh don't care you know that's how i kind of move around my life and i was like whatever i just kind of go with the flow is that also how like a show and a tour called man haters can be a thing and and not worry about how men might react to it um, yeah, so my, uh, so I started the show in the Bay Area, those, like, all, like, women and queer comedians, um, it was, like, uh, then I didn't actually come up with the name of it, my co-host at the time, she come up, came up with the name of it, and, um, I actually was a little bit hesitant at first, where I'm like, oh, this, you know, it's, it is quite aggressive, but, um, it, we thought it was such a funny name, and it's just, like, something that people will call lesbians that are like, oh, you guys are man-haters, you know, like a derogatory term. And we just thought it was so funny and catchy, so we used it. And we didn't really get um, that much, um, like, negative feedback from it. Um, only occasionally when I think people didn't get the reference or the joke. They're like, oh, you guys hate men. And I was like, no, that's just, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek funny uh, name for the show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. People secretly could have hated it. I have no idea. But for the most part, I think it was, 
you know, the response was positive. Or the people that we wanted to come to the show came to the show. So that was kind of the whole point. And where were you? Where are you doing? The, where was home base for the show? That show was at um, a, uh, a historic uh, gay bar in Oakland called the White Horse. Yeah, so we did that show once every month for I don't know, maybe three or four years. And did you stop it because you decided to move to LA, or? Um. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it could still come back at some point. I. You know, we we've talked about bringing it back, or you know, having other comics run the show. Um, so, you know, up in the air on that. But, yeah, I moved away, and then I was like, okay, well, I don't live here anymore, so the show's not happening. <laughs> How did you... I also gave the show to two other people that were running it for a while, and then they also moved. So, yeah, it kind of just slowly died its own death. <laughs> Speaking of, of hating men, uh, which is what I'm doing, uh, not you, um, the first time I saw you, or the first time I remember seeing you was in Portland. I went to the... All Jane Festival in 2016, and you were a part of it. I was just going through my notes to see, like, where have I seen Irene before this? And uh, the the biggest thing I remember about that festival and that weekend was that was the weekend that the Donald Trump Access Hollywood tape came out. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I don't remember this at all. I barely remember that weekend. <laughs> and I was like, if there's ever a man to hate, that's that's the man. Although, you know, he doesn't make... Thank God he doesn't make the list of favorite dictators. Uh, you know, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> Does, speaking of things in 2022, has, has Vladimir Putin uh, moved up the charts? Um, I, I don't know. That's also like a, an older bit of mine. I only put it on the album because uh, I was like, oh, yeah. Because when I was putting it together, I was like, oh, what are some jokes that I liked from before? And I stopped telling and I remembered I did that joke. So I brought it back. But I hadn't done it in like years. Nice. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the purpose of a debut album is to get all of the rich material you've developed over the course of a decade. Right. And be like, I want to p- record this for posterity and have people know this is who Irene, too, is. How did you decide when it was time to move from the Bay Area to L.A.? Was there a moment or a person or an event that made you go, okay, now I'm ready? Um, I think uh, I had started um, kind of just doing all the shows in town, or it was like felt like it was time to move, and then I um, got a manager, so that kind of facilitated the move down. And how did you get your representation? Um, my first manager uh, saw me at uh, Clusterfest, at um, Comedy Central's Clusterfest, the, I think the first year they had it. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I can't remember if I was already moving down when that happened or if I moved right after. So, really bad about time. I have a terrible memory. By the way, if anyone can tell, we're recording this outside um, in New York, and there are a lot of sounds happening, and it's, like, two degrees outside. I apologize for the weather, uh, not for the ambient noise. I mean, it's what makes New York, New York, right? Um, did having representation and having shows that you were already getting booked on, did that make moving to L.A. a lot easier in terms of just kind of settling into the scene? Because L.A. and New York are just so chock full of comedians. I'm sure the Bay Area is too, but it's there's a lot less stress and industry involved. Um, no, I honestly don't think it makes it easier um, because uh, you, you're just in a different city. There's so many comedians. You don't know what neighborhood you're in. You don't know what shows are happening. So I don't think it really made a difference if I had a manager or not because he wasn't really getting me on any shows. Um, I feel like 
any times I've booked shows, it's mostly been from other comics. Like, comics like to book comics. They don't really want to go through industry. Um, I think it's just easier or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't... I, the first year was hard. They always say, like, the first year in L.A. is hard because uh, you're just in a new spot. You're not getting any stage time. Um, but now I feel better about it, so... Well, how much time were you actually spending in L.A.? You mentioned going on college tours and things like that. Were you on the road a lot more than you were actually in L.A.? Um, I honestly can't remember. I think I did try to be in L.A. Sometimes I would go back to the Bay and do some spots. Um, and then I did do some colleges. But I don't really remember how much time I was in L.A. I just remembered it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. You also, I know you've been recently on tour with Taylor Tomlinson, and you've been touring with a lot of up-and-coming and famous comedians over the last few years. What have you learned from each of those headliners as you've done theaters with them? Um, theaters? Uh, the main difference, I think, in other comics have talked about this, with theaters and like uh, club shows or bar shows or just smaller shows is the amount of time you have to wait for the laughter to hit um because you do club you, you tell the joke people laugh right away or you know they don't laugh at all but uh yeah it's pretty quick and immediate but in a theater you kind of have to wait for the laugh to come to you it's like a rolling laugh so i end up doing my jokes slower and the stage is so much bigger so i'm trying to learn how to take up more space um like in a theater because like I, you know in a comedy club the stage is pretty small you can't walk around that much you, you'd just be pacing back and forth a little bit but on a theater you can walk the whole length of the stage you know so it's kind of i'm trying to figure out where i can you know add more movement to my jokes for it to play better in a theater so that's just logistically the the art of being a stand-up comedian with a a large crowd and presumably a lot of the times you're performing for crowds who don't even know who you are what about what you've learned from the headliners you've toured with in terms of like how to build a career um, well... <laughs> or how to deal with the industry, how to deal with all of the the nuances of show business. Um, I guess just, like, you do have to constantly be promoting yourself and kind of nobody's going to do any of that stuff for you is, I think, my biggest takeaway is you kind of have to build your own brand and sell yourself uh, and not wait for the industry to come to you. That's kind of... I guess my biggest takeaway from it, yeah. And having, you know, you've you've been on on plenty of media lists since at least 2017 in terms of like, oh, Irene too is on the brink of fame or Irene too is a is a comedian to watch. And now that we're a few years removed from that, do you I know a lot of comedians and performers and even people who aren't in show business have this this desire, this want to have everything immediately. How how is how how are you approaching it at this point? Um, well, I'm glad they've said that I was going to be a uh, on the brink of fame in 2017, and here I am still outside um, doing a podcast uh, <laughs> to promote my album. So, really, let the newspaper down that said that I was going to make it real quick. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's. I think it's just as long as they're having fun, it doesn't really matter. And I didn't really get in. I, you know, I think maybe originally I got into comedy to be like, oh, I want to be famous. But now I don't really care if I'm like 
mega famous. Um, I think if I'm just doing fun shows, having a good time, you know, trying my best, putting out the work that I want to put out, um, it's kind of good enough for me. And maybe it'll happen, and maybe it won't. And uh, who cares? We're all gonna die, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a good perspective to have because so many people will compare themselves with other people in their profession and go, "What? Why does this person have?" what I don't have or you know how come I haven't gotten new faces or how come I haven't gotten a Netflix special or how come this or how come that how do you maintain a level head um I mean again I would like to get new faces so whenever this comes out I'm uh, still haven't been a new face uh you know I will take it I'll take a Netflix special you know whatever mm-hmm. um I'm not saying hey I don't want this but uh still want it um no, I just uh, yeah, you do you do end up comparing yourself, I think, to people who maybe start at the same time as you, or like um, you know, friends of mine are always like, uh, we're always like, oh, what are you doing? Like you know, just trying to be like, oh, I should be doing more, um, and I think that's a good motivation. But if you're constantly comparing yourself, I think you just are making yourself miserable. You know, it's just not fun. And uh, you know, I'm very happy for my friends when they get stuff. So you know, I don't know. I I just like have never really felt. Um, that much uh peer pressure um you like even when i was a kid people were like oh don't you like feel like uh, you have to look a certain way or do a certain thing and i was like not really you know i grew up on cartoons so i just wanted to look like a sponge yeah so you know you you have managed to put out your your debut comedy album in the dare i say still the middle of the pandemic i don't know when the pandemic will end if it will end um was that something that when everything started shutting down in 2020 that that you thought to yourself, well, if I'm ever going to do an album, I better do it now? Oh, I don't think it was a rush like that. Um, I just wanted to do an album when we could do full capacity because I was going to do it at my home club, the Punchline in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, when clubs started up, opening up, they would do like, what, quarter capacity, half capacity, and... I was like, well, the audio just won't sound as good for that. And some people did, like, outdoor comedy specials, and they, you know, they looked cool and stuff. But for me, I just wanted, like, a classic, like, comedy album where it's like, you do the joke and you hear the laugh from the crowd and it's like a full, you know, show. Um, So as long as I was able to do uh, it full capacity, it was fine with me. I wasn't, like, in a rush or, you know, anything like that. And you did it with Blonde Medicine, who are Bay Area people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Dominic at Blonde Medicine actually uh, used to work at Rooftop, and he watched one of my very first sets when I was in college because they used to have that comedy competition. And uh, I used to wear, like, a button-down shirt and suspenders and a bow tie, so he watched one of those first sets I had. I can't, I, I can't understand why you abandoned that look. I mean, that's a, it's a classic look. I mean, the hair at the time, my hair at the time wasn't the best when I looking back, but uh yeah, I could bring that look back at some point. Not the not the exact clothes I was wearing at the time, you know, it was like what H&M or something. I'd want like a nicer maybe shirt and nicer suspenders, nicer bow tie. So how important is it for you personally and professionally to now have an album with your name on it that you can find in a store or on streaming platforms? Um, hey, if you want to support me, please buy the album because, uh, you know, comics paid, get paid absolutely nothing for streaming. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to put something out there at some point where, you know, you go up on stage, people are like, how do you want to bring you up? And I'm like, I don't know. And now I can be like, oh, I have an album, just to point to something that I have that if people like my comedy, they can listen to more of it. Um, I ideally wanted to have a special before I did an album. I didn't uh, want to put out an album, but well, when Blonde Medicine was like, you want to do an album? I was like, yeah, you know, they may never give me a special, so why, why not? Why don't I just do these... Uh, these jokes that I don't even really do as much anymore. I did a couple of new jokes on the album just to keep it fun for me. But, uh, yeah, just so I have something out there. So then what is next? Do you have specific goals for yourself now that you have the album under your belt? Or what is, is there a five-year plan? Is there a, is there a game plan? What, what is next for Irene too? Um, well, I love to keep my cards close to my vest or chest. What's the, what's the idiom? I think I think either is applicable. Okay, well, I love to not show all my cards, so you know I won't tell you everything. But um, I would love to, you know, put out a proper like one hour special at some point. So that would be the goal, and you know other stuff that I can't tell you otherwise it may get ruined. Who knows? Oh, and also I would love to have a sh- food related project at some point because I love food. So if anyone wants me to do something with food, let me know. Podcast, web series, television series. Feature film. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Make it happen. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, hopefully you'll be uh, doing podcasts indoors again. But thank you for doing a podcast with me outside in the cold, uh, the cold uh, spring-like weather of New York City. Uh, this was not planned, but, you know, life is full of surprises. So, Irene, too, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, get my album. It's called We're Done Now. And we are done now. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.